This is Belonging, a podcast that explores being alive in the age of loneliness. I'm your host, Becca Piastrelli, a writer, mother, and community tender currently living on the ancestral lands of the Coast Miwok people in present-day Marin County, California. In this show, we explore topics like rites of passage, cultivating meaningful community, seasonal and cyclical living, and what it means to be a good ancestor in these times. I have thought-provoking conversations with friends, teachers, elders, and ancestral medicine keepers to help support you in bringing more meaning and connection to your life. I also pop in here and there to share updates and learnings from my own story, because we were meant to do this together, cosmically holding hands as we walk the spiral of life. You can expect to be challenged by new or old ideas, face your beliefs and what systems informed them, get curious and brave to tell the truth about the deeper, harder things, and feel comforted in the knowing that you don't have to navigate it all alone. Hi, friends. I'm back. It's Becca Piastrelli here back after my winter's hibernation. If you're listening in order, my last episode was uh, about winter rituals. And at the end I said, I got to go hibernate. I don't know how long. I know I'll be back. I don't know when. And here I am on the other side. It's March. It's springtime here in my bioregion. Coast Miwok land, present day Marin County, California. The sun is out. The flowers are blooming in my yard. And the big oak tree I always talk about in my episodes that I stare at out my office window is starting to sprout its little leaves. And the squirrels are running around eating them. And what I know about spring greens, which is a foreshadowing for the rest of this episode, is that tender young greens have a sweeter, higher sugar content. And they get more bitter as they grow. And so I just feel like these squirrels, after a hard winter, question mark, are feasting on these little sprouts that will become large oak leaves on this tree. As spring came, where you're listening, if you're listening to this in real time or any time, spring may not have come or it's not spring. Maybe you're in the Southern Hemisphere and it is most definitely not spring, but this is an episode that celebrates spring. We are vernal worshiping here, and that is because I feel in my body an internal spring coming. So I talk about seasonal living as in accordance with the season of the earth or the season of the hemisphere that you're on, but we also have internal seasons. And I have been pretty vocal about being in an internal winter for quite a while and then feeling like I had to come out and... I had to market and share my book, which was a joy and took a lot out of me. And so after the fall harvest of the book launch, I went back into my hibernation cave and really, really let winter take me, like full on went to the darkness, the fertile void, underground, frozen, lots of metaphors there. 
I think I've realized how vital wintering is for those of us in particular that are burned out or mothering or grieving or with fragile immune systems, which is a lot of us, a lot of us. So what did I do in my wintering? I have a little bit of like a, what just happened? (laughs) A little bit of, I have no idea, a fog. I think that that's a little bit of a trauma response to what I'm realizing is the last two years of my life. Getting pregnant, having a lockdown, giving birth in a time when the fires were burning really bad here in Northern California, feeling really isolated and then having to go right into book stuff. And of course, wanting to show up for that and to the best I could, having the death of a friend in my community all through a pandemic, I'm realizing and bringing words to the fact that that was really hard. And in the moment, I was just getting through it. But now when I look back, there's some parts I don't remember. And I'm like, oh, there's a trauma response. So a lot of my winter was contending with my emotions, with my grief and uh, my sadness and my anger. And I ended up being diagnosed with delayed postpartum depression, which was a relief and devastating because I tried so hard not to get it. And, uh, you know, if you've listened to past episodes, I've talked, I'm thinking about Rochelle Garcia Saliga and I'm thinking of Amber Magnolia Hill and I'm thinking of Megan McGuire and all these mothers who came before me sharing and me just being like, I'm listening and I will do better. And, um, yeah, noticing me judging, judging it. And so I've really, what helps me release the shame and the judgment is to share. And this feels like a nice place to share. No one's going to jump out at me and give me their judgment or advice. And if you are, I can't hear you. So it's better this way. (laughs) But yeah, so in the realization and relief of being diagnosed with postpartum, delayed postpartum depression, really needing to take deeper action for that. So people ask, "What, what, what are you doing? What are you doing for that? So definitely less social media. I was off of it for a solid month. I actually made a personal Instagram account just for friends and loved ones to share more deeply. And that felt really safe and good. A Finsta, that felt really important to me so I could stay connected without having that sort of publicness. I'm back out in the public, but I was just so tender, so, so tender. And I needed to make my life small, I've been talking about. So I still made my life small. I learned I need to move every day, which is actually really hard. really hard. So making a commitment to move every day, therapy, couples therapy, having some really important and hard talks with my partner. I got away for my first solo non-baby trip, probably got COVID, recovered from COVID. Tim and I got away, just the two of us. That was made pretty major. My baby turned 18 months and I could feel all of a sudden, a major shift in both of us, a real individuation that happens in the mommy-baby dyad that leads to the age of two. I felt it. So sad, so wonderful. <laughs> and yeah, I created a wheel of self-care. I posted on Instagram. If you go on my Instagram, Becca Piastrelli, you look for my winter self-care wheel, inspired by Marisha Mirnowska. I'm in her school, The Sacred Wilds. And this really got me through December, January, February, where I, on the self-care wheel, it's a wheel divided into eight like pie pieces. And in each of them, I put something that would actually nourish me. 
And I made a rule it couldn't be media, even though like I feel nourished in ways by screen time. (laughs) That was important to me to not because I noticed in my real like winter depression that that would always make me feel worse. And Marisha says one of the pie pieces has to say do nothing. So my winter self-care wheel said do nothing, walk outside, sow wildflower seeds in the rain, and I caught the last rains. I was so grateful. I thought more rains would come, but they haven't. It looks like it'll be another dry year. Make kitchery and blended soup, mushy things for my body to digest, infrared sauna and soak. There's like a local little hippie spa near where I live where they have an infrared sauna and the private hot tubs outside under redwood trees. Make sure I go there. This winter practice of sauna and heat, stretch body and sweat, morning sun on my body, and read a book. And I've been reading fiction and it's been real nice. So I wanted to share that because I think it doesn't have to be a winter self-care wheel. It could just be a self-care wheel. And again, I have an example on my Instagram if you wanted to check that out. And the other big news is as a novice chicken farmer, not farmer, chicken tender, but not a chicken tender, (laughs) chicken person who tends chickens, we got rats. Now I shared this on my Instagram stories and apparently rats are quite triggering to a lot of people, which I can technically understand, but I had a pet rat as a child. Her name was Mindy. I loved her. She won the longest tail at the Marin County Fair, $5 prize. She slept the whole time, but I was to this day. I am so proud of her and I I loved her. So Tim and I are just like such animal lovers. And so we saw a few rats and we thought, this is not a big deal. And we also noticed that the chicken feed was just like going quickly. And we're like, wow, these chickens are so hungry. And also we are both so burned out mildly depressed and he has anxiety and we have a small child and we just really let it go. And that was a bad decision because the rats took over, which is apparently one of the most common things with backyard chickens. If you're a chicken person, you're nodding your head right now. And we thought it was one rat. And then Tim put a camera inside the run, which is like the caged off place, the outside part. And the next morning we checked the footage. It's not one rat. It's a rat city. Tim thinks 30, I think 100 million. Holy shit. So it was actually really stressful because the chickens stopped laying and they were starting to like peck off their feathers. It was, and they were getting mites. Anyways, it's kind of maybe getting gross. And then our neighbors who were on the other side of the fence, got really upset, rightfully so. And a neighbor relationship is just so important to preserve. It's just so important to preserve. And so this chicken coop that Tim spent the whole first year of the pandemic building, it's like a chicken mansion, and it's blood, sweat, and tears. And he just put so much into it. It was his project. We have had to break it down. We had to buy a coop on the internet, was shipped in like two days, and we had to put it on the other side. We live on a hill, at the top of the hill, and we had to get this fancy new chicken food feeder that they have to step on a step and it opens the chicken food. They have figured it out, but it was a little bit awkward. And we have to completely break down Tim's beautiful chicken mansion coop. So why am I sharing this with you? 
it was really stressful as, as us who feel in devotion to these like ancestral ways that we're very awkwardly trying to sustainably teach ourselves. It just felt really hard to navigate the neighbor dynamics. And we did not want to poison or kill these rats because especially poison because of the owls eat that, you know, it's just the ecosystem and, but also wanting to honor that people really freaked out and realizing we had fed an army of rats for six months and our poor chickens anyways. And then grieving our vision in favor of what is simpler. That really was it. Like Tim was just so sad. And yet we've, we simplified things and they're working better and they're getting more sun and they're laying eggs again and they're okay. And we're okay. And I just think that has just been a lesson for me over and over in this winter time is making things smaller, making things simpler, letting things go. So how about we talk about spring? Because when this comes out, it'll be around the spring equinox in the Northern Hemisphere. So Southern Hemisphere folks, save this for six months from now. So I remember when I learned about this concept of mud season. So if you live in, well, I know the Northeast and the States, but I wonder if there are other places that do this. There's like winter and there's spring like flowers, but in between there's something called mud season, which is when all the snow melts into the earth. And before the greens and the blooms come, it's just really messy. It's messy muddiness. And That doesn't happen here in California because we have less moisture. But I really like that metaphor for that stop-start energy that is spring. Like, refer to your own bioregion here in California, Northern California. It's like, I've seen this meme on Instagram. I'm sure you've seen it where it's like, winter, false spring one, winter again, false spring two, stupid winter one more time. That's actually not how it goes, but that's how it feels. Actual spring. And so right now we are just coming out of fall spring too up here. We'll see how many fall springs there are or if we're in real spring, but that stop start energy I think is important for us to remember in like our natural wild ways and like the nature of renewal that it's not linear. It's not always just like a straight line to renewal and blooming and blossoming that it can feel herky jerky, couple steps forward, couple steps back. And what if we can bring grace to that? So like, what is muddy? (laughs) What is the mud? The mud is the melting of the snow or the water everywhere. So what is melting and creating mud, making way for the flowers to bloom? So yes, it's a time of renewal. I just think about, particularly those of you that live in places with like really intense, cold, snowy winters, how much every year you feel that ancestral desperation for spring. I do not have that experience where I live now, but I have been, I have lived in places with that experience where it's just desperate. And then a March snow comes and you're just like, I could die. (laughs) And then the light returns, the energy quickens. It's really true what you're feeling and spring arrives and it is euphoria And I think that's why there's like connections with Christian holidays around just like Jesus and rebirth and Easter. It's all connected universally to these seasonal pagan earth-based things that all of our ancestors and we feel to be able to begin again. The hope, the newness, 
I don't know about you, but I really like that feeling. I'd say I'm addicted to that feeling. Any of you raise your hand if you love to start, but it's hard to finish. (laughs) I know I've struggled with that for years and I've been really focusing on like, okay, spring feels so good, but whatever I begin, I want to complete. I want to take to harvest and I want to put it to bed with completion and reflection. And so that's how I look at my projects. That's how I look at my work. That's how I look at my goals. So there was no like January 1st goal crushing situation for me. There was visioning. Tim and I actually did a beautiful ritual on the, did we do it on the winter solstice? No, we were with the community on the winter solstice. We were releasing on the winter solstice from the last year, but oh yeah, I think it was New Year's. We used to just like write our goals down and then it became intentions because goals felt too heavy. And then I was like, why don't we just vision? And so we lit a candle and we did a little spell because we're calling in the land we want to build a home on. And we just visualized, meditated on what we saw and then just talked about it. And this is, you know, the dream before the seed. So now I'm feeling seed planting time. So I think this is a great time to set goals. I think this is a great time to actualize the seeds of what you want to harvest in the autumn or whenever. Autumn helps me. That orients me a little bit timing wise because I know I ain't working in the winter. That's just not happening. So I want to talk about seeds. I think seeds are the most incredible, most spiritual, most beautiful thing right now. I mean, seeds are the beginning of it all. It's like the esoteric dream of winter leads to the tangible physical seed. And the seed is the part of the plant that is about continuation, preservation. It's remembrance work. Like it's the beginning, but it also is a seed is encoded with the DNA of every plant before it and the DNA that needs to be activated in order to grow. The seeds can sit, but it's when you wet them and place them in the damp, dark earth that it grows. So here's the thing. We are the seed too. You are the seed. I am the seed. We are encoded with the DNA of all that came before us. We are the heirloom seed. And what needs to be activated in us now so that we can start growing, even if the growing is the roots down and nothing can be seen above the surface in the muddy mud season. But you know that once the seed, if you've planted a seed before, if you work with seeds, you know what happens. It does a lot of work underneath the surface. And then when it's ready, it pushes It's kind of intense. Think about all the energy it needs to push the soil aside and come above the surface. You are the seed, my friend. So whether you want to talk about gardening or you want to talk about the metaphorical gardening of your life, I want you to think about what is needed for you to continue and preserve all that you come from and grow further, heal further. So how can you work with seeds? What's like ancestral rituals and practices for seeds? Okay, you can plant them. I mean, you can order seeds from reputable seed companies. This is actually really major, that these are non-GMO organic seeds that are ethically harvested. 
And hey, 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 you could work with seeds you harvested yourself. And if you don't know how to harvest a seed from a plant, literally go to YouTube and go how to harvest seed from X plant. And someone somewhere will show you. I did that for lemon balm two years ago. And I was like, oh, cool. This is how you do it. But also like if you get a tomato at the farmer's market, you could save those seeds. If you get a pumpkin, you could save those seeds. Just saying. How else can you work with seeds? You can eat them to support digestion of winter's sludge. I say winter sludge because we'll talk about that in a bit more when we talk about greens, but summer, spring, just like from an Ayurvedic perspective, which is what I really like to look at, even though I am not Indian, I really appreciate the Ayurvedic philosophy of Agni and digestive fire and seeing all of us as different bodies with these doshas. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you can check it out. But to think of spring as the quickening in the soil and the quickening in our bodies, because seeing our bodies as the earth and the earth is our bodies, there's starting to be movement and warmth underneath the surface of the soil. And that's what creates new life, right? So if we are wild animal bodies have been in a slowed down experience of life, right? A season of rest. Our digestion is slowed down. And often we're drawn to like stews, fatty stews, fatty meats to help keep us warm in the winter, whether that's needed now or not, that's still the way our bodies operate. And so what is needed to quicken the digestive fire of spring? So one of them is seeds. My number one is fennel, but anise, caraway, coriander, flax, and seeds can be such a supportive digestive tool and way to get protein and omegas in your body. I like to mix them with honey and put on toast or make a digestive sprinkle to put over food. Like again, the internet, if you just like look up herbal seed honey or herbal digestive sprinkle on the internet, you can find some. And then also seeds can be incense. So if you're working with smoke or you're working with scent, which I know I really do, so that's why I bring it up. If you have a hot charcoal If you're in that practice or want to be in that practice of burning hot charcoal and then sprinkling incense on it, you can sprinkle seeds and work with their medicine that way. So what comes from the seed? The tender sprout, the spring green, the tender sprout, the beginning, the beginning of the plant. And where I live here in Northern California With the winter rains come the greens. So it's not, it's like for us winter greens, but they stick around for as long as there's moisture in the soil and they just pop up everywhere. And so many of them are edible and so many of them want to be eaten by the animals, including the human animals to help bring vitality, nutrients, vitamins, minerals, and digestive fire so we can be in movement again. So around here, Miner's lettuce, chickweed, strawberry leaf, cleavers, plantain. I mean, I'm obsessed with miner's lettuce and chickweed and it's everywhere. And also I realize like chickweed, I have chickens and I give them chickweed and they lose their minds. And then it goes into their eggs and then I eat the eggs and that's all nourishment for all of us. But yeah, right? Like winter diets where fatty stews in green helps digest the fat cleanse the blood, bring fresh mineral life into the body, nutrients and energy. That is so important. And I have a a former teacher, Liz Miliarelli, sister spinster, who talked about eating bitter greens and how important it is to eat bitter foods. Uh, 
this time of year, greens or even roots. And she said, bitter plants dissolve bitter feelings. And just like any sort of residual resentment or anger, anything that's like stagnant from winter in our emotional bodies, if we can work with bitter plants to dissolve bitter feelings, like bitter plants squeeze the liver to help cleanse it, which is just an important seasonal act, which helps to balance hormones. So I try to remind myself that when I go to the market of getting bitter greens this time of year, and I'll tell you what my favorite thing to eat is all year round, but fresh is nettles. And I highly recommend if you can, if you grow nettles or you harvest wild nettles or you buy nettles fresh that you either make nettle pesto or nettle soup and you can freeze both of them. I'll link to a great nettle soup recipe in the show notes. There's so many recipes out there. A lot of people have it with potato, so it's like thicker, but I like to put a bunch of greens and nettles in it and blend it really thick and just take it in. Nettles are just so high in vitamins and nutrients and so, so good for your immune system, which we're all trying more than ever, question mark, to fortify. But you know, you can make pesto from like anything. Have you realized this? It's like once you figure out how to make pesto with basil, you can make it with anything. So I'll post a little reel of pesto I made last year with chickweed. We had so much chickweed. Now it's like miners let us city. Yeah, making a pesto with it. And I think like you could add seeds in there. You could add in any kind of seed. Right now I'm feeling like hemp seed or something to just put on pasta, make into a dressing, put on toasts. Like you can incorporate this into your life as medicine, as nourishment. So the flowers then start blooming. That's probably a little later on, right? Then the flowers come. (gasps) The orgasm, the beauty, the sigh, the exhale, the song that is flowers. So I just want to make a note about flowers and foraging and reciprocity because I love flowers so much. I get fresh flowers from the farmer's market. I also have a friend named Gina Baimonte who runs Bloom Generation Flowers, and she has this offering where she gives you like flower medicine bouquet where each flower has its own energetic message every new and full moon. Shout out to anyone who wants to get that who lives in the San Francisco Bay Area. It's incredible, incredible offering. So I've got cut flowers all up in my home, for sure. And I think something I talk about specifically when it comes to land reconnection and feeling kinship with the living world is to think about reciprocity and this desire we have to pick, to cut, to use a flower for us because of its beauty. And what is a wider purpose of a flower besides to appease you with its beauty? Well, it's there for pollinators, right? It's there for pollinators. So, you know, bees or hummingbirds or butterflies can come and pollinate and keep the flowers blooming and keep the earth breathing. Pollinators are pretty important, huh? You know, what else are the flowers there for? Who else can appreciate their beauty besides us? So I'm not saying don't cut the flowers, but I'm saying think about it before you cut and maybe don't always cut or pick. And if you do, what are you doing to offer reciprocity? What are you doing to thank that plant? I know 
It sometimes feels silly, but it is an indigenous ancestral practice that we can come back into in our colonized capitalist world. A thank you, a kiss, a strand of hair. What can you offer? And finally, sun worshiping. There is an amazing episode of Medicine Stories podcast with Amber Magnolia Hill, who's been on this podcast, called Harvesting Light, the Alchemy of Sun and Human with Nadine Artemis, who started Living Libations, which is like a Canadian beauty brand. And this podcast episode blew my mind. And I'm really understanding from an ancestral perspective how vital the sun is to our health. And it's mildly controversial because we've really been brought up to believe that the sun is dangerous and we have to, you know, always cover up. And I'm going to let you decide on that. But there is something important to know about how the sun keeps us healthy and alive and how we can expose our bodies to sun. And I feel this so much because I have a Northern facing home. And so for at least six months or five months of the year, the sun doesn't hit our home. Like we have light, but I see it across the Valley. And then when it happened about, I'd say a month ago in the morning, I got a sliver. I just sit there in the morning, Atlas runs around and giggles and brings me books. And I just sit with my coffee with the sun on my face and it grows and it grows and it grows. And, you know, by the summer, it'll be hot. But this sun worship is so, so important in also preparing our bodies for the fullness of sun in the summer and how exposure to sun a little bit over time in the spring is so important for replenishing our vitamin D and supporting us, particularly those of us who stare at blue light a lot of the time. I mean, even to get it... Nadine talks about getting it on your eyeballs, taking off your sunglasses and getting some sun on your eyeballs because your eyeballs take in sun in a really important way. So check that out if you're interested in more of this, but just from like an ancestral practice of sun worship is in the morning. Morning is often the safest. Also, there's a connection to burning and diet, an animal-based diet, also potentially controversial that I find interesting. Um, But in the morning to get some sun on your skin. So what I do and what Tim does is now I have to take turns because we have the baby, but it's to sit outside on our like patio furniture and like get at least five to 10 minutes of that morning sun on our body to start the day, drinking it in as much as you drink your water, your coffee or your teas It's to drink it in. There's so much more to be said about spring, including egg magic and honey magic and milk magic. Okay, long story short, eggs are a sign of fertility too, right? And you think about like the whole Easter egg thing, but it's really reverence for life, you know, for life beginning again, for the hens laying the eggs. And so for a lot of us who had ancestors who would were agrarian and were farmers, which is a lot of us probably most of us. There's some folklore out of old Europe of farmers hiding eggs in their pockets or around the farm for like the kids to discover like an Easter egg hunt. And that was all like a good omen and like basically superstition to try to protect and and set intentions for a good harvest. So many things we map to a good harvest, growing enough food so that everyone can eat 
and that everyone is okay and thriving. Honey, oh my gosh, honey from the bees, springtime and the flowers bloom and honey comes. Honey, that sweetness to be savored and treasured. And when the honey comes, how can you work with honey on your body, in your belly, in a bath, as a mask? How can you work with honey to really feel? That's more of like, to me, like a sexuality expression, which is what flowers are. It's like the sex organs of a plant. And what is spring about? New life and creating more. So honey is a really beautiful way to work in that energy. And then milk, milk from the mothers. Milk from the cows and the goats and the humans. Milk being a sign of new life, of fertility, of birth. So there's like an old ambrosia folk recipe of milk, honey, and red wine (laughs) to be drunk as a celebration that spring is here and we're alive. I'll stop there. Those are some ideas I have and what I've learned and some things I practice or have practiced. So I wish you, whatever season you're in, when spring comes next, I wish you a spring filled with the sense that you are the seed. And I hope you're eating greens (laughs) and making pesto and getting some sun on your skin. It's great to be back. Really happy to be back. And we've got more coming for you soon. Just getting back on my legs here. So I'll see you soon with the next episode. And lots of love. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. In a time when our attention is being pulled in so many directions, I feel honored you chose to devote some of yours here with me. If you want to check out show notes or listen to past episodes, go to belongingpodcast.com. And if you like what we talk about here and want to know more, you can subscribe to my newsletter at beccapiastrelli.com. I'll be with you again soon.